This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast, visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. We've discussed Judaism in comparison to other religions. Now we're going to just focus on the Torah itself, Yiddishkeit itself. Could Judaism have been faked? Even taking away all the other religions for a moment, simply put, what's the proof that the Torah was really given at Har Sinai? Our claim of Judaism is that Hashem came down to Har Sinai, as it were, came down, spoke to millions of people, at least from two to three million people, gave the Torah to them, made Moshe Rabbeinu the, the prophets that we should trust. This is a claim. Can we prove that this is true? Did this really happen? So in order to talk about this, we have to think about how this could have been faked. In other words, either this was true or it was a lie. Either Hashem really came down to Har Sinai at Tuba Israel to two to three million people, or he didn't, and it was a lie. So we have to go through each option. So we're going to obviously try and go through the option from the perspective that it was a lie. So before we even do that, let's establish facts. This is a very useful point in any argument almost, is we have to first establish facts in order to comment about them or analyze them. And if, if you ever can't agree with the facts on people, that's a problem. You have to go to the facts. Let's see what facts we can know for sure, and then let's just, we'll, we'll analyze these facts. So here, here are the facts. The fact is that there are people in the world who believe that their ancestors spoke to God at Mount Sinai. This is simply true. If you go back 300 years or so, most, most of all the Jewish people believe that. There was exceptions here and there, but on, on mass, most of the Jewish people believed that their grandparents, God spoke to their grandparents at Mount Sinai. That was, if you go back 300 years ago, things happened the past 300 years where it's gotten a little bit fuzzy, but still there are many remnants of this belief. And everybody knows that this is true, that the Jewish people have believed that their grandparents were at Mount Sinai when God came down and revealed himself and gave the Torah. That is a fact that they believe this. In fact, we can even go back 2000 years. That's an undisputable fact that the entire nation of Klai Yisrael, again, could be some exceptions, but the entire, most of the nation of Klai Yisrael believed this story. We have historians writing about this. So this would make the timeline about 1,000 years after alleged events. We know the Sifrei Torah back then were the same as they are now. We know from, like I said, historians that this is true. So, And it says in the Sifrei Torah, and it says also in the historical books, let's put it this way, that they believe the Sifrei Torah, and the Sifrei Torah say in them that God spoke to their ancestors Mount Sinai. Well, God spoke to the Jewish people Mount Sinai, and these people claim to be the Jewish people who are the ones, who are the children of these people. And God took out, took them out of Egypt and so on. And they all believed it. So we know at that time, at that time, 2000 years ago, fathers were telling children at the Pesach Seder about how their great grandparents left Egypt. Again, these are all facts. I don't think anybody can dispute this. This is just a simple fact that the Jewish people have always believed this point that their grandparents were taken out of Egypt by God and taken to Mount Sinai and given a Torah spoken to God face to face by God face to face and given a Torah to them. So these are just the facts. Now, when we observe these facts, we want to ask ourselves, how do we account for this social phenomenon like no other in the history of the world? We just want to observe what we're seeing, observe and analyze what we're seeing. We're seeing a 
a complete anomaly that there's an entire group of people, millions and millions of people for many, many, many generations, at least back 2,000 years, who all believe that their ancestors spoke to God at Mount Sinai. What could possibly explain it? Now, let's just clarify this point, because this is a common un- misunderstanding of the argument, of this argument. This argument is presented in many ways, and this is probably the most basic misunderstanding we're about to address. We're not bringing proof from what the Torah says. We are not saying that since the Torah said there's three million people, therefore we believe this. That's not what's happening here. Right now, we're going to even assume that the Torah is not true. We're going to go through it, assuming that the Torah is not true. And we're going to say, can we understand what we see as a social phenomenon, assuming the Torah is not true. So we are not proving the Torah from the Torah. Again, this is the most mis- this is the biggest misconception people have, that this proof is proving the Torah from the Torah. It's absolutely not. We're going to assume right now that the Torah is absolutely fake. We're simply looking at the social phenomenon of the Jewish people who believe that their ancestors spoke to God in Mount Sinai. Now we're asking ourselves, how did this come about? What could possibly explain this phenomenon? What theory can be a good explanation to what we're seeing, what we're observing? The question is that there are millions of people, and there are and were millions of people, who claim that they heard from their grandparents that God spoke to them at Mount Sinai. Now, how is this possible if this is false? This is what we want to get into. If really this was all a lie, that God really didn't speak to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, then very simply, how is it possible that what we see in front of us is in reality? How can we possibly, how is it possible that there are millions of Jewish people for at least 2,000 years and more, for sure more, but as I'm being very conservative, at least 2,000 years, who have believed this quote-unquote lie. Okay, this is really what we want to go into. Again, the claim is that God spoke to millions of people at Mount Sinai. Now let's go back. If this was a lie, how this would have started? And if it's true, how, the, how this would have started? If it's true, it's obvious. If it's true, then that's, that very much explains what we see in front of us. It really happened. The children told their, the people at Mount Sinai told their children, and so on and so forth for every single generation for the past two, 3,000 years. And we see exactly the results of that in front of us right now. So it's a very simple explanation if this was true. If it's a lie, then this is where we have to start questioning. How did it happen? So again, it was either truth or a lie. Now, if this was a lie, let's make a couple of points. Point number one is that if this was a lie, then this is the most successful hoax in the history of the world, bar none, by far, because it, it, I mean, it was successful. So not only, I mean, not only with the fact that it was successful, let's just start from the beginning. This is a claim that no others have made, not even tried to make because of the improbability, I would call it impossibility of getting away with it. There's no charlatan or cult leader who has ever claimed mass revelation. It never claimed such a thing about millions of people experiencing an event of that magnitude of mass revelation, like we said. Just remember this, there are thousands of religions in the world and none of them even claim such a thing. We know that there are for sure liars amongst them. Now, if there are liars, why wouldn't they go for the best lie? So again, we said, and we just explained very, very in short detail, but you can't get away with such a lie. How do you get away? I'm going to expand on this later, but how do you get with such a, away with such a lie about a mass revelation if it's not true? How do I claim that there are millions of people who spoke to God? So if I try and tell you that, what are you going to respond to me right away? Show me these people. It's a lie that you pretty much cannot get away with. And we're going to go into detail about this. But just to point out, nobody's even claimed it. No religion has even claimed it. There's, again, over thousands, thousands of religions in the world, and not one has even claimed such a thing, because you can't get away with such a lie. Not only, so again, we don't have to even theorize about why for a moment, right? Even leaving aside why, which we'll get to. But forgetting the point, we understand that people haven't done it. We know the history of liars, cult leaders, and charlatans, and everything, all these people who create these hoaxes, whatever it is, nobody dares claim national revelation or anything like that. And the reason is very simple, like we said. But again, we didn't have to theorize why it's true, because it's just true that they didn't. Yet, what we ha- you'd have to suggest over here is, number one, that it was claimed, 
which in itself is borderline insanity, because again, who would even claim such a thing if he was a liar? Thousands of people haven't done it, yet you're telling me over here he did it. So just the fact that there's a claim that he claimed this, that whoever the liar was who started this religion claimed this claim, that itself is something very, very hard to believe, hard to accept. Again, there are thousands of people and millions of liars and charlatans in the world who try to convince people and lie to people, yet none of them have done this. So number one, you have to say that this person did it. He decided to make, to do this type of lie, a national mass revelation. And number two, not only that, but it actually worked. It worked so well that millions of people began telling their children for generations about this lie. And Jews for generations, thousands of years later after the alleged events, would jump into fire and water rather than betray the Torah, all for a simple lie. A lie that is easily checked and disproven, unlike the other religions. Again, this is, we're claiming mass revelation. It's an easily, it's easily able to be checked, as opposed to everything else, which was, God spoke to me, can't be checked. So over there, again, as we said, there's no proof from the fact that people would believe that because it can't be checked. Here, this is a claim of mass revelation. If it could be checked, why wasn't it checked? Or why wasn't it disproved? Yet, again, we have people believing this lie. As we said in the first, in the first part of this, is that just the fact that there's a falsifiable claim that was believed should be enough reason for us to assume that it's true. But it's much more than that over here, as we're going to say in a moment. There's a lot of motivation and a lot of reason not to believe such a quote-unquote lie. The Torah is very demanding on us. There are many, many laws and very intricate details in the Torah. And some of them nobody would really want in their right minds would actually want to keep. That's just a small point. A small point is, again, just to point out that there's motivation for not wanting to keep this lie. If this lie wasn't true, people wouldn't want to keep it. Now, more than this, that was a, a small point, but here's a, a even stronger. There are predictions in the Torah that make itself, that make the Torah itself falsifiable. There are the types of predictions where no one in the right minds would make if he wasn't able to keep, and no one in the right minds would believe if they didn't think the person who's making them would be able to keep. So usually religions will make predictions about the next world or about the messianic age, something that's very far away. It's again along these lines of if you can't check it, then you can get away with the lie. You can't check these predictions. If I tell you that when you die, you get this and this, it's unfalsifiable. So we would expect that liars who make other religions, which are lies, would make all those promises. I promise that if you do this and this, the next world will be great or the messianic age will be great. How do I verify that? If I ask you, well, when's the messianic age going to come? I say, well, it, it, it's not here yet. It'll come. It'll come. So, okay, it's completely unverifiable what I'm promising to you. If, again, if I'm the leader of this new religion, I'm telling you, you keep my laws, you'll have this and this happen, whether it's in the next world or in the messianic age, that's completely unverifiable. And again, from that, there's no proof that that was believed. And I can make such predictions. Of course, I can make such predictions because, quote-unquote predictions, because if I'm lying and I make it uncheckable, then no one's going to be able to say that I'm a liar. I could simply say, when you die. Yeah, I'll be checked when, when you die and you realize not true, but that's, at that point, it's too late. But the Torah does not do that. In fact, there are no predictions or guarantees or anything in the Torah about the next world. There are about messianic age, but the Torah doesn't ask us to trust us based on that, or it's not really, convert to Judaism are not really persuaded, or that's not really the main selling point of Judaism at all, that if you do this, Messianic age will be great. That happens to be true, but it's not the selling point, as opposed to, let's say, other religions. But leaving that aside, the Torah does not make these predictions, the Torah Shabbat Shav, anyways, does not make these predictions at all. Actually, it's the exact opposite in a certain sense of most religions. The Torah says, in, in many places, that if you don't keep the mitzvahs, let's say, rain won't come. Or another example, you'll be exiled to another land. It's a very clear cause and effect. And it's something that if it doesn't happen, 
it would completely discredit the writer of the Torah. If I tell you that if you don't keep the mitzvahs, rain won't come, and rain does come and not keep the mitzvahs, that's it, I'm completely discredited. If I tell you that I'm going to take you into your land, and then it, what's going to happen is you're going to do averas, and if you do averas, you're not keeping the mitzvahs, other people are going to come and exile you from your land. Well, again, if that doesn't happen, then my whole ne'amanus, my whole trustworthiness is gone, is shot. I'm completely discredited. It says more than that. It says that when we visit the base of Mikdash during the Shalash Regalim, right? Kaisa has a mitzvah when there was a base of Mikdash to go from all places where they live in Eretz Yisrael to go for, on Pesach and on Shavuos and on Sukkot three times a year to go up to the base of Mikdash. Now, if everybody has to go, certainly all the males anyways have to go, well, who's staying home and who's guarding the land? Well, what, what's going to happen to the land? Somebody could come simply and, and take it. Well, what does the Torah say? The Torah gives us a guarantee that when we come to the base of Mikdash, nobody is going to take our land. That will be fine. That's what the Pasuk says explicitly, that when you go to the base of Mikdash during the Shosh Galim, there's a guarantee that nobody's going to come and take your land. You don't have to worry about it. Now, how do you guarantee such a thing? Again, if you're in the mind of this liar who's trying to sell people Judaism, is this something that you would write in, in, your, in your religion or not? Just try and think about that for a second. You're trying to sell a new religion to people for whatever motivation you have. And you're writing, you're asking yourself, okay, what fake laws am I going to write? So I'll write this law, write that law, whatever, for whatever reason it is. Would I write in it that, you know, you should go to the base of Mikdash. And when you go, I'm going to guarantee that no one's going to take your land. Would it, is that something that you would write? The moment that happens that people go to the base of Mikdash and the land is taken, that's it. The whole thing is discredited. And even if you're dead by that point, so maybe you don't care at that point, maybe. But still, whatever motivation you had, it's all gone. So nobody would write it, and nobody would accept it. So it's not only that you wouldn't write it, but think about that. If these are people you're asking them to go to Eretz Yisrael, you're going to get there, and then when you get there, you go to the base of Mikdash, and you leave your land completely unguarded for seven days at a time, two times a year, and one day, one time a year. <laughs> Who would accept such a thing? If the Jewish people never went into exile, again, the whole thing is discredited. So who's going to put themselves out there like that? Who would even make such predictions? And what's more, even more than this, is all those predictions actually came true. If you look at every single thing that it says in the Torah so far, again, there are some things by Moses and Mashiach, but that's by definition going to happen a little bit later. But all the other predictions that are not dependent on sometime in the future, rather, when you go into Eretz Yisrael, if you serve idols, and so on and so forth, every single one of them came true. What about all the times that Klaisal went up for hundreds of years to the base of Mikdash? Did anybody steal their land? Again, if it would have happened one time, the entire religion falls apart. If one prediction is made, because it shows that it's not divine, it shows that it's not God. If one prediction is made and doesn't come true, the entire thing gets unraveled. But what about the tochacha? When we read about the tochacha, there's horrific punishments in the tochacha. If we don't keep our mitzvahs, it's the most terrible things that you can imagine are written there. And more than that. So again, you go, you go through a tochacha in, in, in the end of Sefer Vayikra and in the end of Sefer Devarim, two different tochachas. But if you go through them and you just read them just even superficially for a moment, it's this horrific promises of what's going to happen if you don't keep it. So again, who promises such a thing? Number one, what kind of person who's selling a fake religion would write that? How could he predict such things? And who would accept such things? Imagine being B'nai Yisrael and getting this Torah and saying that you know that if you don't keep it, you're going to end up eating your own babies. But here you go. Here's the Torah. How many people are likely to accept such a thing? And again, who would write such a thing? I'm going to write in my religion. If you don't keep it, you're going to end up eating my own ba your own babies, even though I can't guarantee that that happens. 
whether I'm, I'm around or not. Even if I'm alive still at that point, I cannot guarantee that that happens. The options of this are that the author of the Torah was either insane and lucky or inexplicably confident and lucky. Or the third possibility is that he actually controls all nature and world events and can easily make these guarantees. Those are the possibilities. The people were either duped by the craziest and luckiest man ever to make these predictions slash guarantees, or it was really God. And there was no problem with saying these things because God controls everything in nature and has no problem making these guarantees. Those are the possibilities. There are no other possibilities. Again, either they were duped by an insane person and extremely lucky, or an inexplicably confident person and extremely lucky, or God. Those are the possibilities. Again, so this was the an insane claim to make in the sense that nobody else has done it. Not only has nobody else done it, but it actually worked. And if you even go press in the details, if you go in the details of it, it becomes even a crazier claim and a crazier religion to actually try and sell to the masses. This is something that has guarantees of world events everywhere that I don't think, I, I don't know all other world religions, but I would be very surprised if in any other religions there are such clear-cut cause and effect world events predictions slash guarantees in their religion. I would be very, very shocked if there were. If any other religion says that if you don't keep this law, the rain's not going to fall, call me up and let me know about it. Now, even more than that, if there is more than that, but I want to appreciate how many different variables would be needed to allow for such a hoax to be perpetrated. We should ask ourselves the question, how likely is it that someone could start such a lie and get away with it. We already made, raised some of the points about how difficult it would be that people don't say lies this way. People certainly won't accept it. But let's even accept all that and even tell me any story you want. How many different variables have to be in place and how many different favorable circumstances do we need to line this up for in order for this lie to work out? So again, on a scale of, if you give me odds, what are the odds that if somebody tries a mass revelation hoax, a lie, that it's actually going to work? The, there was, you know, Greek mythologies 2,000 years ago, and, and there's still mythology. Nobody takes them for real. There's people like to claim, oh, it started off as some sort of mythology, and eventually it seeped into national consciousness, and people start to thought, think it was real, whatever you want to say. Well, did that happen with Greek mythology? No, why not? I don't know. You're going to have to explain why it's different over there. What happened over here that all of a sudden the Jewish people en masse all believed that it was true. This needs to be explained. And I've heard different explanations of this happened and that, and there was a war and there was this and people that. Okay, whatever the, whatever it's going to be, just give me the pathway as to how you think such a thing can happen. And then ask yourself a simple question of how likely it is. So let's just appreciate a little bit. We know that in over 3,000 years of recorded history, maybe more, with billions and billions of people over that time, never has there been something like this. So just with that, we'd have to make the odds pretty, pretty high. And again, whatever story you want to tell me, whatever pathway you want to give me as to how this evolved from this lie or it started off as a national revelation or it started off as a myth or whatever it is and it evolved, just appreciate the fact that in 3,000 years of recorded history, this has never happened before. So you're going to have to give me some extremely likely set of circumstances that led to the belief in this lie. Now, just give me a number. What are the number? Is the number one to a thousand, one to a million? Okay, it's very hard to know exactly the number, but let's just put it this way. Is it extremely unlikely that this happens or is it very likely that this happens? Now, of course, to say that it's extremely unlikely that this happens, then that would beg the question, well, then why would you assume that this is how it happens? In other words, we're looking at a phenomenon. The question either is that this was true or this is a lie. If it was a lie, for, or in order for such a lie to happen, it would, let's give it very, very, very conservative odds of one in a hundred. 
That's very conservative. It's more like one in a thousand, one in a million. Let's even give it one in a hundred odds of this happening. So if it was a lie, you, it would have to happen that way, that it was one in a hundred odds, one in a thousand odds. I would even say, obviously, but okay, it, but it happens. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that it was truth. It really did happen. So there's no odds for that. that. That makes a lot of sense. So if we have two ways of explaining this phenomenon, so why would we choose the fact that it was that the, the pathway where it had to take a one in a thousand odds in order to happen? Now, people understand this. And that's why when you will ask people, was it likely or very, very unlikely that such a thing could happen? Normally, they would say that it's, a, it's no, it's, it could happen. It's very likely. I've actually twice in my life, I've been at least twice, actually, when I remember at the top of my head, I've been in a scenario where I asked, how likely is this to happen? And they would answer, yeah, it's, it's likely because they intuit, they understand that if you say it's extremely unlikely, that's a very, weakens their position very, very much. So if it's very unlikely, then who says it happened this way? So what a lot of people will tell you is that it was likely. Well, if it's likely to happen, that just begs to me an even stronger question, which is that why hasn't it happened more often than once in thousands of years? Again, there's over 3,000 years of recorded history, billions and billions and billions of people, which with over thousands of religions in the world, plus all the cults and the clubs and everything else that started with a, some sort of liar, charlatan, whatever it is. Yet it's never happened. In recorded history, we don't have such a thing. So if it was really likely to happen, then why hasn't it happened? Things that are likely to happen and happen easily tend to happen more than once. Yet this hasn't happened more than once. It's only happened once in a long time. So where, what is it? Is it likely or unlikely? So again, if it's likely, then why hasn't it happened more than once? If it's ex- unlikely, then why assume that that's how it happened? You should go with, we'll call it Occam's razor, the more simple understanding, which is if you're, if you're, again, if you're pressed between understanding it as extremely unlikely versus that it was really the truth and it's likely to, that's meaning if it was the truth and it's very easily understood that way, then why would I assume that it was extremely unlikely? So this is even without getting into the details that just to us, you, you have to say this was an unimaginable hoax and it was, and it was pulled off. It was a claim that nobody would make. It was something that nobody should believe with Many, many details in that because within the details of the religion, there are some things in the religion that nobody in their right minds would, would predict and guarantee and nobody in their right minds would accept and it's all worked and you're telling me that it was all a lie. So that itself needs explanation. In other words, that itself is very difficult for a rational mind to accept. Now let's get into more of the details. Whenever you discuss this topic, we always need to press for details about the origin story. As we said, the, what is the origin of the religion? So we want to know the origin of this religion, of the Jewish religion. How did this religion start? Don't just say in vague, give, don't let someone give a vague answer of, well, it was, I don't know, it was a mythology or this. Get, don't, that's usually a way of evading the question entirely. Just press for details. What are the possibilities? How did this lie get off the ground? How could, what happened? Let's just go into as many details as we think possibly happened. What happened over here? How did this start? And when, it, when you break it down this way, there are really pretty much two possibilities. Maybe a third, but it's not really even worth discussing the third, but there are pretty much more or less two possibilities. So possibly number one is that Moshe Rabbeinu came to a bunch of people and claimed that they saw God speak to them, or he tricked them using whatever tools he had. Something of this effect, that Moshe claimed and claimed that God speak to you people, you people who are standing right in front of Moshe Rabbeinu right now, God said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, God spoke to you, or he tricked them with magic, or whatever else it is, or maybe maybe even the Jewish people are all on drugs, something along these lines, that the people themselves got tricked somehow into thinking 
that God spoke to all of them. And then they passed on their story down to their children and so on and so forth. Also, I might add that they also got believed in tricked into believing that they were really taken out of Egypt when that wasn't true. And all those miracles happened and they walked through the, the sea because this is what we tell our children. So somehow they all got tricked. Either Moshe Rabbeinu tricked them or they were on drugs, whatever answers you want to give. That's one possibility of how this happened. Now, besides for the obvious, obvious response to this is how ridiculous these suggestions are, that really no rational mind should ever entertain such suggestions. And in other sense, we wouldn't do this in any area of life. In any other area of life about recorded history, we would not do such a thing. If I told you maybe 9-11 wasn't real, some of you weren't alive for 9-11, so maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it was all people on drugs, or maybe it was a, a movie that people thought was really real. You would laugh me out of the building, and you should. What about the Roman Empire? Was that real? Well, it's 2,000 years ago. Was anybody alive at that time? Yes, there are written documents, but who cares? It all could have been forged. Maybe p- put in whatever story you want. Maybe it was all fake. Give me any event of the past 3,000 years, and I would say on that... Maybe it was fake. Maybe people were on drugs and they thought this and this happened and so on and so forth. Nobody would do such a thing in any other area in life. Yet over here, only over here, people raise these, these problems. Again, that's, that's, a, that's a dishonest thing. This is how all recorded history works. They were witnesses to the event and they passed on the story. You can't say, well, because nobody was around at the time, therefore we can't know, because then you can't know anything. And you don't act that way. Nobody acts that way. And nobody should act that way. There are sufficient reasons to believe recorded history. When you have witnesses and they pass on, nobody assumes people en masse lie this way, that they would make up that something happened to them or they were on drugs that happened to them, whatever exactly the details are. But number one, so you have to assume this problem, which again, as a rational thinker, it's just so irrational, illogical to assume such a thing happened. But there's another more detailed issue. Just let's say, let's take the drugs issue, and this really applies to all the other things. Let's take this. What what are you suggesting? And and I I have heard personally that people have suggested this idea about using drugs. Let's talk about this issue. Let's say drugs have been used, a conservative estimation I'll give, about millions and millions of times in the past 60 years even. Let's, again, as a conservative estimate, millions of times in the past 60 years. Okay. Many, many people have different reactions to drugs from whatever it is, or alcohol, whatever you want to say. Now, how many times have a bunch of people finished using the drugs and A, thought that God spoke to them, all of them, B, continued thinking that way with enough conviction to tell their kids and pass it on, and C, like I said, all this, well, really, all this happened to more than one person. Sorry, I was, all this really happened to more than one person. So, and D, that the lie was never called out. How many times has such a thing happened? Again, that there was a person, let's start again, from one person, that God spoke to them, he continued thinking that, and he told his kids, this happened to more than one person, many people all thought the same thing and all told their kids, and last thing is the lie was never called out. The answer is zero. There are zero times out, out of a billion, or millions and millions of attempts, we'll call it. There how many times have people used drugs with that result? Pretty much zero. Not, not pretty much, it's zero. So, but now you're trying to convince me that that's what happened over here. In order that we have a cause that yields a certain effect, and it doesn't yield another effect. Drugs yield whatever effect they, they cause, whatever effect it is. Whatever the totsa, whatever the result is, that's what they, that's their, that's their effect that they yield. Out of billions of times, it has never resulted in more than one person thinking that he was, he had a revelation by God. And to, with such conviction that he would tell his children and the children would tell their children. It never happened. It was never a result out of billions of times. So why wouldn't then I assume that this is the explanation? Now, if you had a, in science, you would say, 
you would throw a ball against the wall a hundred times, and it always had the exact same reaction. So would you now expect on the 101st time that it's going to have a different reaction? How about a million times? You do one thing a million different times, it all has one reaction, one effect. And now you're going to make, would you ever suggest that on the millionth and first time, it would have a different reaction? Well, this is what, what, this is essentially what we're saying. What you're saying is that drugs happen billions and billions of times. It never had a certain effect. Yet this time I'm claiming that this time it actually did have that effect. Okay. Why should I accept such a thing? That's ludicrous to me. And it's the same point by magic and special effects, whatever it is. That Again, I've heard all these arguments before that Moshe Benu was a magician and he had special effects. Whatever it is, again, magi- if, you believe, if you don't believe in magic, then you can't use that argument. If you do believe in magic, then again, magic has happened many, 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 many times, yet nobody, as a result of the magic, have thought that God spoke to them. So why would I assume that's what happened over here? Now, that's really possible. It's in a, almost, in a, almost in a possible, again, is it possible in theory, do I have to accept such a thing? Should that make a difference in my life? No. Not everything that's possible is something that I should accept or have reason to accept. So point possibility number one is really that Moshe Rabbeinu came to the present group of people and said and, and tricked them somehow that you were, the pe- you spoke to God. That's something that's pretty much unacceptable to a rational individual. Possibility number two, and this is really what most quote-unquote academics believe, is that someone comes to a bunch of people, gives them the Torah. Now, in the Torah it says, as we know, the Jewish people were taken out of Egypt, they were taken to Mount Sinai, God spoke to you, millions of people, if you do the calculations, based on Sefer, Sefer Bamidbar and Sefer Shmos, if you do the calculations, it comes out to millions of people, and it says, God spoke to you, that you saw what I did to Atem Reisam Mina Shemaim, you saw that I spoke to you, you saw what I did to Egypt. That's what it says in the Torah. Now this person comes and says to a bunch of new people, here you go, here's the Torah. Now they read it and say, what's, one second, I don't understand. How come, who are these Jewish people? How come we've never heard of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim leaving Egypt? We never heard of Mount Sinai. We never heard of any of these things. Where are these people? You say, well, they died. Yes, of course they died, but they must have, why wouldn't, they didn't tell, pass on this history to their children and their children's children, where are their descendants? How could we be that we haven't heard of such a thing? That's obviously the major question, and this really, this question, without going into details, is the reason why nobody can get away with a, a lie of mass revelation. Now, there are two things that need to be dealt with. Number one is how to get people to believe this story in general, and number two, which is the harder thing, of how to get people to believe that it happened to their ancestors. So number one, again, is in general, how do you get people to believe that there was such a mass revelation without actually having hearing it? And number two is not only that, but you have to b- get them to believe that it happened to their parents. Because remember, we see the Jewish people now and 2,000 years ago believing that it happened to their parents. So how do we account for that? How do we explain that? So the lie must have done it in such a way that it got Jewish, the Jewish people to believe that their grandparents were the ones who spoke. That had to have happened if it was a lie. So what was the lie? So again, it can't be that Moshe Rabbeinu told them that you, you spoke to God. That would actually explain the lie because then they would tell their children, we spoke to God and so on and so forth. Their children would tell their children, but that can't be, as we explained. So the second thing is that there has to be one person who comes and didn't tell, speak to, to, tell them that they spoke to God, but they had to say that their ancestors spoke to God. And if he convinces them that their ancestors spoke to God, then great, they would pass down to their children that our ancestors were taken out of Egypt and spoke to God. And that would account for the social phenomenon that we see. However, like we said, the problem is two things. Number one, how do you get people to believe this story? 
wouldn't the first question be, if I came to you and said, your grandparents were in, out Mount Sinai, wouldn't the first question be, well, why have they not told me this? It's a pretty serious question. And number two, how do you get them to believe that it happened to their ancestors? Because now you have to say that, that they believed it so much and they're willing to tell their children that it happened to their grandparents, even though it was lie, but you have to get them to believe that. How do you do that? So in part number one, it says, imagine I come and claim now that 400 years ago, or even a thousand years ago, which is not so much in terms of history, the whole story of the Torah happened. It's Yisrael, Har Sinai, and everything. So again, what do you say to me? So like we said, why has no one ever heard of this before? How come it's only you? If there are allegedly three million people who experience this, why isn't, is this not public knowledge already? So I need a really good answer to this, otherwise I'm finished. Which is why it's so inconceivable to believe that somebody could get away with this. Again, no one in the history of the world has been successful in creating such a mass hoax, as we said. But okay, back to this point. What are you going to say to them to get them to believe? Now, just before we get there, I just want to address one side issue over here. There are some people who claim, let's say, about a story of Yoshka, that he, let's say, walked on water or healed the blind, whatever it is. And they would claim, let's say, that it was done in front of a bunch of people. And people have believed this. People believe to this day that Yoshka did these miracles I'm assuming it's there, it's in the New Testament that he did in bunch, in, in front of a bunch of people. I'm assuming that. So does that show us that you can get people to believe a lie, even though the claim was with like a mass miracle? So the first thing is that it's completely different for the reasons which are going to come, which are going to become clear later. But, and I'll just mention very quickly right now is that the reason is because you haven't convinced me that Yashka walked on water. You haven't convinced that I've witnessed it. I won't say that I witnessed it. It means I could also say that my grandfather rose from the dead in front of five people or 15 people. I might get away with that. Some people might believe me. That's unfalsifiable the same way. Just because I claim a bunch of, and a bunch of people, I mean, I, I would want to keep it as little as possible because if I say only five, then when you ask, well, where are these people? I say, well, they're around somewhere or they're not around or their grandchildren are around somewhere. And it's easier to get away with a lie. But even that is hard as it is. But I'm certainly not going to convince you that you or your parents saw it. So, but this is what happened with Torah, as we're going to say. But really, this, the second thing also is that if I come out of a cave and I say, God spoke to me and here's the text. So you either believe me or you don't, right? That's what other religions, you either believe them or you don't believe them. But if you do, then when I give you, when I give you a text to say this person did this miracle in front of this many people, so it's pretty likely you are going to believe me. Because once you've already believed me that this is from God, so you'll believe whatever's in there. So, but there, if I tell you why do you believe, the answer is simply going to be because it says in the text, and I believe the text is, is from God. Now, why do you believe the text is from God? Because you said. So ultimately, anyways, comes back to the claim, which is an unfalsifiable claim. However, if I come to you and say that God spoke to a million people, and you don't have a reason yet to believe that, someone's going to be very light, unlikely to believe such a thing. In the first case, like we said, there's already a reason to believe. But here, I'm trying to convince you. I don't have a prior reason for you to believe. So the, again, the question is origin of religion. And ultimately, even if I tell you Yashka walked on water, the origin of religion is ultimately down to the fact that whether I believe this person that he really spoke to God and whether the New Testament is from God or not. But this is not similar at all to our case right now. Our case is that there's a social phenomenon and we want to know why people believe that. You'd have to say that they believed a lie right away. They believed the mass lie right away, that your grandparents spoke to God. Now, how do we do this? Now, this is the part two that that we were referring to earlier, and it gets a little bit more difficult. Because again, part one was just simply saying over here that just to get anybody to believe a mass revelation is very difficult. Again, if it's five people, 10 people, or an unnamed amount of people, so if I say Yoshka did something in front of 20 people, again, I could say, where are these people? At this point, you'll say, well, they've died and, and this and that. But I, could, I would simply still ask, where are the children of these witnesses? 
have do you have any chain of of witnesses saying that they were there at the time? The answer, of course, is going to be no. Now, part two over here is going to be the more difficult part to get over, as we said. You can't convince people themselves that they saw something they didn't. So again, in that case, nobody themselves is going to claim that they or their grandparents saw Yashka walk in water. They will say, it says so in the New Testament. Who says New Testament is true? So that's the problem of proving the Torah from the Torah. That's the problem proving there the New Testament from the New Testament, because if I don't assume the New Testament is true, then I don't have any reason to believe that it happened. But in Judaism, it's not, like I said, it's not what happened. We're not proving it from the Torah. We're proving it from the fact that Jews believed it. What happened in Judaism is that there are people who believe that their ancestors were at Mount Sinai, and their ancestors were taken out of Mitzrayim. Every Pesach Seder, we say that God took our grandparents out of Mitzrayim. Ask yourself a very simple question. How did the first Pesach Seder start? When did the Terence parents start telling their children that we left Egypt, that our grandparents left Egypt? Or where was the first time? If it didn't really happen, what scenario would lead to people telling their children that they left Egypt? Let's picture it ourselves. The first scenario, first year, somebody says to children randomly that our grandparents' parents came out of Egypt. So besides the fact that the children are going to say, why I've never heard this before, or somebody's going to say, why have we never heard this before if it's not really true? But why would they say that out of no reason? Why would they come along and say one day that our grandparents were taken out of, of Egypt if it never really happened? So the, the really the only possibility, I mean, most likely the only possibility would be as follows, is that a person comes and claims that you, the Jewish people, accepted the Torah, etc. Not you, your grandparents. But something then happened, something that happened, everybody forgot about it, meaning everyone forgot about the Torah. And then me, whatever my name is, Plony, I'm now coming and reinstituting the religion. And that would make an unfalsifiable claim. Again, I say that the Jewish people, which were your, I come to a bunch of people and say, your grandparents called the Jewish people, accepted the Torah. Something happened that either wiped out all their memory or they all died. And then everyone forgot about it. And then God came to me and told me about it. And therefore now I'm giving it to you. And now if you would believe it, if everybody would believe it, and it's possible because it's unfalsifiable claim and those are believed. So then yes, they would tell their children that their grandparents got the Torah and got out of Egypt, because that's exactly what I'm telling you. What I'm tell- what the, this liar is saying is that your grandparents, this all happened to your grandparents. Okay. So that's, like I said, most academics think that that's something that actually, that's, that's how you explain what actually happened, because that would lead to exactly what we see. The Jewish people from, from what, that point on would then tell their children that our grandparents spoke to God at Mount Sinai, were taken out of Egypt, and so on, and passed it down to the children. And that's an unfalsifiable claim. So it's easily believed. And, then Judaism becomes like every other religion. Now, the, there are major, major problems with this. First of all, what was it that happened that everybody forgot? And, and how long ago did this happen? As we know that 2,000 years ago, Jews believed this. So within 1,000 years of the alleged events, they already believed this. And you're going to have to say that within 1,000 years, 1,000 years ago, an event happened that no one has heard before. It's such a catastrophic event that no one's heard before, no one's heard about before, that it happened and, and it killed all the Jewish people. A thousand years ago was the crusade. So imagine now somebody comes to me and says that a thousand years ago, your grandparents spoke on Mount Sinai and something horrific happened and everyone forgot what happened. And that's exactly why your parents didn't tell you about this because nobody knows because th- that generation died and there were no survivors. And that's why nobody's there to tell you and I'm here to tell you. So, well, you're going to ask, well, what happened? So it has to be an event so monumental that an entire people were wiped away from history with no survivors. Either the, either all their memories or they uh, physically were all killed somehow. That event, which would have to have done it to two to three million people, 
It all happened. It just happened. That's what you have to say. And more, not only that there are no survivors to tell the tale, but sometimes you could have a disaster that leaves no survivors, but others have heard, heard about it. Let's say like a shipwreck. If everybody dies on a ship, there are no survivors, but there are other people who know about it. Here, it's not only that there have to be no survivors, but it's that nobody else could have heard of such an, such an event. And I, the person who's restarting the religion, we'll call him Plony for now, is coming to tell everybody about it. Why has nobody heard about it? Who knows? Whatever the story is going to be. But he gets away with it because he, so he knows about it because God spoke to him privately. Again, unfalsifiable. That's basically the story that you're going to have to. So it's a lot of lying to get around this point. And, but how are you going to get around this point? Is, is, is that a believable story? But here's even more of a problem. As a first, the first generation hears this story. So let's be very detailed. What story is it that they tell their kids? So do they simply tell their kids that their grandparents went on Mount Sinai and about Yisias Mitzrayim and so on and so, forth and so forth, exactly the story that the Jewish people tell right now? Or do you tell them that Plony came along and told us, or we were at Mount Sinai, and then everybody died, whatever this whole story is, and nobody, no survivors, nobody knows about it. And Plony came along when he was it was revealed to him to God, came along and told us about the whole story, and then he brought everything back. So it's cer- certainly going to be the latter. The story that you tell is that we, initially we were at Mount Sinai, everybody died, so on and so forth, this catastrophe. Plony came al- around, and he revived the religion. And so again, you can't simply say that we left out of Egypt. You wouldn't leave out the main part of the story. This is certainly upheld by logic as well. And I'll show you one other thing. There is one other religion that claims mass revelation. Actually, to, to be honest, we said every other religion, but there's one other religion that actually does claim mass revelation. But the truth is that it actually proves the point that we're making. Because the story that they tell is exactly the story that was told to them. In other words, the story they tell was that there was a whole war, or there was a whole, I guess, I think it was a war. And then there's, there's God spoke to all survivors of the war. And then every single one of them died. And nobody knows about this. And how does everybody know? Because there was one person who, who God then revealed himself to. And then that's how the religion started. So yes, they do claim mass revelation, but it's a mass revelation that's unfalsifiable type. <clears throat> and again, what's the story that they tell their children? The story in that religion that they tell the children is exactly this point, that there was a war, they, God spoke to all these people, this mass revelation, and then they all died, and then nobody knew about it, and then this one person came and told us. That's exactly the story that they tell to, those, to their children, because that's exactly what happened. So ask yourself a question, is there such a thing like this in Judaism? Do we tell such a story? The answer is there is, number one, no story about a horrific event. Nobody in Judaism knows such a thing. If I have to ask you, what could it possibly be? Again, it has to be worse than the Holocaust, right? Because the Holocaust killed many, many people, didn't kill everybody. It has to be some mass destruction, whatever it's going to be. No, well, no one's heard of such an event. And number two, there is no person who claims to have saved their religion. There's no person in our story that claims to have saved the religion. Moshe Benin has claimed to start it, but that's different than what we're describing. What we're describing is that Moshe gave the Torah Mount Sinai, then this other person came along and told us about what happened with this horrific event and told us that everybody, and told us about the religion. Who is this person? Because we know many people in Judaism and we know what they did. We know what they accomplished. We know Moshe Rabbeinu. We know Yeshua. We know Rabbi Udanasi. We know Rabbi Akiva. We know many, many different names. Yet this person should be at least up there as the most important person, if not second most to Moshe Rabbeinu, whatever it is. Why is it we don't have such a story? Now, people like to point out to Yoshiao Melech, because they say that Torah was forgotten then, or Ezra, whatever the details are. In the end of the day, I have a very simple question. Why is that not the story that's told? 
Nobody tells a story that the religion was lost and Ezra came and brought it back. Nobody tells a story that Yoshiach Melech was the one who revived the entire religion. That's not what's being said in Sefer Melachim. That's not what's being described by Ezra, certainly, because nobody tells such a story. Why does people not know these names? If I go to many, many people and ask them, who's Yoshiach Melech? A lot of people would not even know who that is. And even Ezra, what he did is not very clear to the masses. But Moshe Rabbeinu is very clear. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov are very clear who they are. Now, who is this person? So if this, this person should be the most important person in the religion, I guess, again, maybe it's second to Moshe Rabbeinu, like we said, but very, very important. So we should know clearly who he is and clearly what he did, yet it's not true. We don't know this. Clearly, Judaism claims to have an unbroken chain, which means that this was not part of the story. Without even assuming whether the chain is true or not, we simply know that this is not part of the claim. And if that's how things happened, you have to ask yourself, why is this not part of the claim? So the answer would be because it's just simply not true. The answer would be because what happened is, what we claim happened exactly what happened. But if you're assuming it's a lie, then you have to ask yourself this. Why in the world would this story not be told the way it is? And there are many other problems with this, but these are only the major problems with this. The really only other option that makes a lot of sense is that it's true. Now, let me add one point here. We I, I referenced it before, but let's just speak it out clearly here. If I were to see a scientific phenomenon and try and offer a theory, try and offer an explanation of it, why it's true. And I'm going to give two theories. One of them is has many, many holes. It's fraught with difficulties. And the other one's very simple and makes a lot of sense. One of them, we have to imagine unbelievable things, things that go against almost every other rule of science. And we have to jump through hula hoops, basically, to make it work. But it could be. That's one theory. And the other theory was, was actually very, very smooth. There was no problems, there was no questions. It just worked out very well. Which theory would you go with? Well, obviously, a, a thinking, logical person, rational person would go with the smooth one, the one that has no holes. So we're, we're really suggesting the same thing over here. How did the Jewish people come to believe in this story? Either it was a lie of epic proportions, which we discussed. We have to make complete gymnastics, scholastic, scholastic gymnastics to simply understand how it was such a thing was possible. And we don't have questions to many of those answers, but it's possible, right? It is possible that it's true. Or I simply posit that what really happened was true, that really Hashem came down to Mount Sinai and Jewish people accepted the Torah as it was, and this is exactly how, how it happened, because it was exactly as we claimed that it happened. Now, are there any questions on this theory? Besides for all the issues of the theological issues, but in terms of explaining social phenomena, are there any questions on this theory? Doesn't this theory neatly explain the Jewish people's historical makeup? Of course it does. It's much, much simpler to understand and say that this was true. Well, then why would I want to say that it was a lie? Why would it be more logical to say that it was a lie when it's Com- almost completely ununderstandable. The theory almost makes no sense. But yet I would choose that theory as opposed to a very simple theory that is actually the truth, which is basically the theory we use in all other areas. Nobody else talks about how maybe America doesn't really have a, didn't really have a war of revolution, the independence war. Maybe it was all made up. Nobody talks about that way. We just simply assume if there was people all know about this story, a historical event that could have easily been verified, a falsifiable fact, meaning the, the, the fact of a war, and people all believed that we assume that it was believed because that's very, very logical to assume such a thing. Now, why over here would it be different? It's really, it's only bias that would get us to do such a thing. Only bias would want to say, well, let's, maybe it's not true because there's bias that if it is true, it means a lot of things. It means I can't do the same things I want to do and so on and so forth as we discussed. It means there's a God in the world and there's a purpose and I, I'm not in charge of my own life. I'm not in charge of my own destiny and there's a lot of reasons why people don't like that and therefore bias would lead us but it's only bias that would get us to to, in my opinion that would get us to pick that theory the theory with so many holes and so many improbabilities that it borders on impossible that's not 
the pursuit that, that's not the proper pursuit of truth. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msofterror.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.